Hey everybody, this is Tara and Andrew versus the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. I'm Andrew. I'm Tara. And uh, this is part 18 of our 3,726 part series where we randomly select a movie from the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide, watch it, do a little research, and then tell you what we thought and what we learned. Yeah, we have a couple of rules. The first of which is no vetoes as long as neither of us has seen the movie, no matter how painful it might be. The second rule is that the movie must be less than four hours in length. That's for everybody's benefit, because we don't want to have a million-hour-long episode of a podcast. And also, I don't want to watch a five-hour-long movie, because that sounds exhausting. Yes, no matter how good it might be. Yeah. Like, I see a movie, if it's two hours long, and I'm like, oh no, two hours. Yeah, he did that with Slapshot, which, by the way, I'd like to remind everybody, we both gave uh, Don't Not Watch. (laughs) So. Yes, yes, we did. He did groan. I Yeah, it's just a reflex. It is. So as I mentioned earlier, the movie we watched in our last episode was Slapshot, which we both thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah, uh, we we gave it our first... Unanimous. Unanimous Don't Not Watch, which, uh, of course, as you would know if you've been listening, is the the highest accolade a movie can possibly ever receive. Ever. Ever. Yeah. Suck it can. (laughs) Yeah. Suck at Sundance. Sundance, who you you've been showed Academy up. Academy Awards. No. So we we both liked it a lot, but we did have a few problems that we didn't really get into in last week's podcast. It's just unfortunate that these were very prevalent issues in the seventies. So it's not like this is something unique to Slapshot, but. We thought it was worth calling out anyway. So one of the things that I, I noticed, there's at the championship game, one of the opposing team members was like a caricature of a Native American. Yeah. And there was like a really brief bit of racist banter. And, and that, I mean, that basically is the gist of the problems that there are with the movie, I think, is that it's just in today's light, you look at that and you go, that's not cool. But it kind of gets into the problem of, like, how do you... How do you reconcile enjoying something that has issues? And I think, at least for myself, it's it's more like you watch it, you know, and you can enjoy it, but just... Acknowledge. Acknowledge and, and you know, continue to have a critical eye and, and know that, yes, this was something that was acceptable at the time, at least largely in, in our culture, and just keep trying to do better. Yeah, so makes the movie sound like a lot of fun when we talk about it that way but but it is actually it's a very good movie there just there are issues that you know watching it now in the year of our lord 2017 you're just like yeah that's not great necessarily yeah there were like you know there was some kind of uh you know sexist things about it and and i wanted to note the screenplay was written by a woman but that doesn't excuse the movie for having these aspects or or um like anti-gay sort of banter and and comments at several points and stuff that should be called out for sure yeah but it's i think overall not enough to completely detract from the enjoyment of the movie i think just factor that into to your thoughts on it to our thoughts to our thoughts and you know just be aware if you're looking to watch it you know it is a movie of the 70s yep it's andrew's turn to pick Okay. You close your eyes, mister, and I will start flipping through this tome. And stop. Okay. Alright, I'll have to flip to the previous page, see what this is. Will we forever? 
Oh, it is! Are you serious? <laughs> serious? Oh my god! <laughs> well, I think the you Lily know. of Forever Curse! <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> I'm not even shitting you! Look uh, at this! Oh, I don't want to look. I think I feel like. <laughs> I am the one that keeps picking it. And you are the one too. that keeps picking it. Oh my Jesus. god, Andrew. Alright, well, let's do this again. And no Lily of Forever. No. I'm gonna flip faster this time. <laughs> okay. Stop. Okay. We got La Atalante. All right. Well, this is from uh, 1934. Okay. It's only 89 minutes in length. Okay. Recently restored and available in its original form, Vigo's masterwork, he died at 29 during post-production, beautifully renders the story of young newlyweds trying to maintain their marriage while living on a barge. The main focus of the film is Juliet and her latent desire to see the city of Paris and even more so gain her own individuality and freedom. This isn't to say she wants to leave her husband, Jean. She wants to gain some ambiguous freedom, a freedom stifled by Jean's jealousy and ritual control. Juliet, however, finds her way to Paris, leaving a tearful Jean on the brink of suicide. Often mixed between the surreal and the real, the dreamlike and the waking, Vigo expresses the power of the love between two people and their ability to forgive one another. Supporting character Père Jules, brilliantly played by Simon, provides tender comic relief, especially at a scene where he shows Juliet all the items he has gathered from his travels, balancing out the oft-heavy, dramatic tension between the couple. I mean, that sounds promising. Yeah. Well, you don't have a choice either way. I don't have a choice, so it's good. (laughs) Okay, so we will be back shortly with our thoughts on the movie after this musical interview. Okay. Just let's quit beating around the bush then. Just get right. to it. Just do it. Um, so the scale goes from don't watch to maybe don't watch to eh. And to maybe watch and then finally don't not watch. And then so on the count of three. One, two, three. Don't maybe not watch. watch. Oh, well, well. Well, yep. the tides have turned. And now I know what it feels like to, to be in your shoes from like two episodes ago. <laughs> so, I don't like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I put you through that. It's just, <laughs> um, yeah, it's all your fault. It's a good movie. I, I liked it quite a bit. I think I was kind of on the border for movie watch and don't mm-hmm. not watch, mm-hmm. but um, maybe this is just another case of me rating something lower than I actually feel about it. Well, I think this is one of those movies where you, it probably is better to watch it a couple times mm-hmm. for some reason. I don't know. There's not necessarily a ton of plot, but it's just more like, it's more of a visual storytelling than it is through dialogue and heavy plot, I guess. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I feel like there's probably stuff that could be picked up on that I didn't. But anyway, I still thought it was really, really beautifully shot and kind of weird so i really appreciated that plus they there's a lot of cats so there, there are quite a few cats in it yes yeah it, it's definitely worth watching i just maybe feel slightly less uh 
enthusiastic. That's fine. Then, that's yeah. that's your right. It is my right for now. For until now, I, until until I, we finally get that surgery. Uh, the surgery. We're gonna become conjoined twins. That's normal. Yeah, we're married couples to yeah. become conjoined. I think it's implied in vows a lot of the time. So right, yeah, it's kind of one of those unspoken rules. Well, shall we discuss the plot? Let's get into the plot. So the the movie opens up with a wedding between Juliet and Jean, and they are just leaving the the church as the movie opens up, and they're followed by this procession of townsfolk from the uh, the village that Juliet lived in. And they're following, like, a fair distance behind. I don't know if that was just, like, a normal thing or if it was just done for the movie or not. It, it definitely seemed off. And it, something that I read uh, kind of referenced it as being kind of like a, almost a funeral. Oh, yeah. And, it was kind of somber, actually. Yeah, yeah it was very somber. It. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of griping from the other townsfolk. Procession follows Jean and Juliet down to the canal where they embark on a barge called La Talon. That's what Jean does. He's the captain of a barge, and he has a small crew of one guy named Papa Jules and his son. Is it his son? I because think? I wasn't entirely Maybe? sure. It sounded or like... a boy. I don't know. It's not. It's kind of like a cabin boy. A, a cabin boy. Yeah. Let's just call him Cr- a cabin boy. Chris Elliott. Uh, so they get on this barge, and they're kind of having a bit of a honeymoon, but also Jean's working. And so they're kind of heading from the village toward Paris where Jean has to deliver some cargo, apparently. It's not entirely clear exactly yeah. what he's doing on the barge. I mean, what else are you going to be doing on the barge, guess, Exactly. Really? I so mean, it's just, it's... we had to assume that you don't really see any, work, like, hard working or lugging things around or any of that. Right. So, it's, this is all just inferred. Yeah. So, it's Papa Jules and Jean and Juliet and the cabin boy, and then also, like, eight cats. That's what initially got us on board with the movie. Like, For sure. oh, look at all these cats in this movie. This is, this is going to yeah. be all right. Well, in fact, when um, the wedding procession's, like, heading down toward the barge, when we first see Papa Jules and the cabin boy, Jules is, like, playing this accordion. He's got, like, a kitten hanging out on his shoulders. Yeah. So we get kind of a, a brief glimpse of what life is like on the barge for Juliet. And you have to wonder, like, Jean must have given her, like, a really solid pitch for the the marriage, yeah. for the wedding um, proposal. Because who really wants to live on a barge? Well, well, I can kind of get it where it sounds like it would be kind of romantic. Like, you know, you, you live in your home can go anywhere and you can take it and go see all these different places. And so it's, you're lured by this idea of excitement and seeing new things. But r- when really you're just like sitting inside this barge yeah. all the time. And listening to accordion music all the time. Right. Because, yeah. That's yeah. Like, that's, I think, was really the part that was like, oh, <laughs> I wonder if you mentioned that to her before. Well, hey, it wasn't married. Barbershop Quartet. That's true. So if anybody wants to figure out how to uh, make life into a living hell for us, he threw us into a tiny barge with a barbershop quartet. And... And goodbye. And goodbye. We're just, we're done. <laughs> That's how you can torture us. Yep. I probably shouldn't have put that out there. They're going to torture us. They got to do it right. I don't want to just get some standard right. run-of-the-mill waterboarding or anything like that. Anyway. Anyway. So, you know, at first things are pretty good, I think. You know, she's still kind of charmed by the lifestyle and then it... You can tell she's kind of getting bored and feeling really cooped up. Listening to the radio that they have and hearing yeah. about the talk of what's in fashion in Paris. Um, so there's this one scene where she's just kind of like bored and goes and is hanging out with Papa Jules. And he's got like all this crazy stuff in his room. 
like uh, showing off all the things that he's collected in his travels. Yeah, so this guy has traveled all over the place, and and that really is appealing to Juliet. So she's kind of hearing about his travels, sort of not really. He's not really telling stories exactly, more like listing places and showing stuff. But it's still pretty astounding to her because she's just lived in this tiny village her whole life, so she really hasn't seen much of the outside world. And this guy's gone like everywhere. So he's got these, this weird, like, puppet thing that he's playing and just, like, kind of delighting her with all of his knickknacks that yeah. he's accumulated through his travels. One of the most troubling being a jar containing his dead friend's hands or yeah something. Yeah. At first, you think that the weird puppet thing is going to be troubling, especially because he refers to it as his little man. Isn't yeah. That right? Oh, yeah. Hey, you want to see my little man? We're he like, says, uh, whoa, uh, um, not, hmm. uh, not really. We don't really want to see your little man. And then he un- unveils this puppet, and it's actually more frightening than if he had actually just... Uh, Flashed himself like yeah. all of Hollywood's been doing. Apparently. Yeah. It, it looks like a prototype for the jigsaw puppet, kind of. Just, like, <laughs> decrepit. So maybe... But creepier than the saw... You know, the jigsaw puppet? Mm, yeah. So, yeah, you think that the puppet was going to be the weirdest, scariest item, but nope. He's, he's talking about his friend, and then you kind of see... You see it before Juliet does, because the yeah. camera's facing it, and she's kind of looking through this cupboard, and you see this jar, and you're like, is that a pair oh. of hands in oh, a those jar? Are, those are hands in a jar. And sure enough, it's a pair of cool. hands in a jar, and you're like, ah, huh, cool. I would not want to see the rest of this man's pantry. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> And also, this was after she had uh, kind of enlisted him to help do some... Oh, some God. Yeah, she was trying to do some... Yeah, and this guy was, like, drunk as hell and could not stand, like, hold a skirt up straight for the life of him. And it was just, like, he was just falling all over the place. She's kind of showing him the sewing machine that, that she's brought with her, I guess, and... She's like, do you, what, do you know how to use a sewing machine? And he's like, step aside, lady. And he, he does know how to use a sewing machine. And he's like, these hands can do a lot of things. And then he kind of, kind of, well, I mean, it is joking, but he's like, let me show you what happened in Shanghai. Oh, yeah. And then he jokingly strangles her. Um, so it's like, did John know much about this guy before he <laughs> hired him for his barge? Right. Because uh, he might have a murderer. He might be harboring well, a murderer. Well, here's the thing, though. Like... I- did Juliet know who she was marrying also? Because when she's like hanging out with, with Jewel in his room and going, th- you know, he's showing her the hands and then like he takes off his shirt and shows off his really, really bad tattoos that he's just laden with. Um, so Jean walks in and he just flies off into a rage and starts smashing plates all over and just knocking everything down. He's just like pissed. Yeah, I mean, he, he senses that there is kind of flirting yeah some sort of like flirting going on yeah and he does not have any patience or any tolerance for that at all he's just like super super jealous and possessive of her i think yeah that um that's kind of a running theme yeah so i mean that that definitely i i didn't appreciate as much about the movie but it just goes back to what we were talking about with just the running theme of our podcast like like (laughs) Uh, This old movie is kind of fucked up in some ways when you're looking at it from a contemporary perspective. Yep. That's what we were going to call the podcast, but it was too, I mean... It was a little, you know, it's it's a little wordier. It's slightly wordier than the title that we did go with, but... uh, You know, which rolls right off the tongue. Yeah, just... uh, (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. So... I don't think she really did know what she was getting into when she married him. I really don't. Though, because early on she talks about how she... there. I guess there's like this folk 
believe or whatever like that folklore folktale yeah that if you uh open your eyes when you're underwater you'll see the face of the person that you will be madly in love with right and so she had seen john's face i guess at a young age and then when he showed up in her village it was like oh hello well hi so you're ready to get married because i am yeah um and boy was he yep and he's kind of skeptical of this at first, but she keeps kind of also trying to talk him into doing it. And it's like, oh, don't, maybe, you know, you you just got married. Don't make him open his eyes underwater. Like, what if he sees somebody else? And then you're like, yeah. oh, well, that was a mistake. Well, we'll get back to that later. So, anyway, the, the barge finally reaches Paris, and Juliet's super excited. She's so enraptured with the idea of the city and all the glitz and glamour it can hold and the fun atmosphere i guess and and john says okay yeah we're gonna go out on the town get dressed and so she gets dressed up but when she's ready to head out they find out that that jules and the and the cabin boy have already headed out into the city and so they're kind of stuck on the barge because they can't really leave it unattended so finally at some point they're able to go out and they end up at this little bar or bistro or something, and there's this street entertainer slash peddler slash magician, and he's sort of flirting with Juliet and trying to be really charming, and he's like showing all of his tricks, and he sings this goofy song, and and she's bedazzled by she is. I mean, this, this is like exactly I think what she thought Paris was gonna be like, and city living, just like all these these interesting characters and excitement and so you you know he kind of like he he grabs her right yeah he basically does he grabs her and starts dancing with her and 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 she's like like, and she's enjoying it but but john is just like you can tell he is pissed not not happy at all there's kind of like a little fight and then uh, john drags juliet back to the barge but juliet was really not done she wanted to see more of the city and so she ended up sneaking out to Paris in the night and was kind of looking around and doing like some window shopping and decided at finally, oh, okay, well, I'd probably better head back. But in the meantime, John realizes that she took off and he's really upset by this. He's like, fuck it, we're taking off. And so he tells Jules to set sail and they, and they uh, just leave her. They just leave her behind. Yeah. So, which is super, super shitty. Yeah. Oh, oh, hey, wife of mine who only ever lived in this one village. Just have fun figuring out life in Paris by yourself. Yeah. So we kind of just see Juliet wandering through Paris, trying to figure out what she's going to do, trying to, like, she goes and tries to find a way to get to another town, like, I guess on a train or something? Or yeah, I'm guessing boat. it was, like, her village. You know, we don't really know for sure, but I assume that's where she was going to go. That would make sense, Yeah. And uh, so she's going to get the ticket, and then some kid steals her purse, and so she just is basically totally stuck in Paris at that point. Um, even though a crowd chases after the kid yeah. and beats him. And and she's later seen holding her purse, so I don't know, well, maybe that just kind of like, she's like, oh, never mind, I don't want to hang out at the train station, I don't know, but she just like, left. Yeah. And eventually got this little job, and was staying in a hotel room. Right, and and so we see like back on the barge that John is really regretting the decision that he made to just leave without her, and as he should, he's pretty upset about that. And then there is this weird scene; they're both lying in their separate beds and kind of spirit fucking, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. It's... Like I didn't that I didn't pick up on it being that, but just more like the idea of them sort of fantasizing about the other one, kind yeah, of. And... Okay. 
maybe like missing the other one is how I took it when we watched it. Um, that obviously not the same interpretation as the person in the little featurette interview thing on the DVD, but yeah, I mean, I think yours is probably more. <laughs> That's definitely how I took it. I mean, I, I obviously with things like this, this movie I think is open to a lot of interpretation. Yeah. So you know, maybe if any of you watch it, you'll look at it a different way, but. It'll eh, just be like, hey. this is the most erotic scene in cinema that I've ever seen, which is another... Which is what that person said. Yeah. And I'm like, hmm. Ah. Hmm. Huh. Anyway. It's hard to describe. It's weird. Yeah. Like, John almost, like, kissed the inside of his armpit. <laughs> that's fine. I mean, that's totally not. I don't know why you, why you cite that as an example of something weird. That's... Like, hmm, that, I smell pretty good for living on a barge. Mm. Yeah. No, I don't think that. <laughs> oh. He's just used to it by that point, I think, yeah. if anything. Um, so, but, so anyway, yeah, Jean's pretty depressed. Jules is trying to play checkers with him, and he just won't respond at all. So eventually he snaps out of it for a moment, and, he's, and John sticks his head into a bucket. And he's like, no, fuck this. And he goes outside and jumps into the river. And while he's underwater, he sees Juliet. So kind of going back to that folk tale that right. she told him. right. So he's like, oh, yeah, I really made a big mistake. I yeah. really fucked up. And then yeah. it's at that point that Jules is like, all right, I'll 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 go find her for you rather than just watch you be miserable all the time and let me beat you at checkers. So he tracks her down. I guess she's working in an arcade of sorts. Yeah. And uh, he Jules tracks her down by, by how she is playing the same music he had been playing, right? Yeah, he'd been accordion. playing that. So he's like, oh, wait, that's that's my song. I'm going to sue you for, for royalties for playing that. Um, and he does, and there's a drawn-out court scene, which yeah. it, it kind of interrupts the flow of the movie, I thought. It was not it really a... did. It really did. No, he, he finds her, and then uh, he, again, just like, there's a lot of dudes picking up women and whisking them off in this movie. It yeah. Like, I guess that was a really common thing that happened. In 1934. Yeah. But just in 1934. Yeah, just that one year. So, yeah, he, he brings her back to the barge. And then Jean and Juliet reunite. And, and it's a happy ending, kind of. Well, they seem happy. They're happy. They're yeah. happy. And hopefully they learned a little bit about how to have a more successful marriage. And and, and by they, you mean Jean. Hopefully he. Hopefully. Learned. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, she was mostly <clears throat> She was fine. fine. Yeah. Like, maybe leave a note if you're going to go take off. Well, but, yeah. yeah. Otherwise... Apart from that, like, she's unimpeachable. Yeah, her, not... her, her behavior right. in this is pretty... Yeah. Yeah, so... You can't find fault in it, so... And so that's why I was kind of <laughs> a little iffy on the ending. I'm like... Yeah, yeah so... Has the... he changed? Is it just, like... I hope so. Oh, God. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to hope. Yeah. So that, that... I'm just trying to be optimistic. Right. And think... He realized he fucked up. Yeah. And he's going to be a, a better husband to her. And, yeah. Know, try and give her more freedom. And yeah. So that's the plot. That is the plot. I think part of the reason why there there are still some things that are, that are not totally clear is because the movie was pieced together from different sources. At least the version that we watched was. The, the movie actually opens up with uh, a statement saying that the movie had undergone numerous mutilations and that sounds pretty accurate uh, as we found out after we were kind of looking into it after the fact like the studio that was funding it or 
producing it was not happy with the final version of the movie. Yeah, they cut a lot out of it. I think that like the movie is like close to an hour and a half long, and they cut it down to sixty-five minutes, which is pretty substantial. Yeah, that's, like a, thir- that's a third of the movie, yeah. basically, just that they took out. Right. Part of the reason they were able to do this is that um, the director Vigo was really, really ill with tuberculosis, and throughout filming, he'd been super ill, and it was a really brutal winter in France that year. So he was basically on his deathbed and wasn't able to go and fight for it. The film company just basically did whatever they wanted. And I think like the initial reviews were really bad too, and it's like, of mm-hmm. course they're really bad. You know, in retrospect, we can see this because. Like we know the the full story, yeah, uh, or a lot more the of the story. Because the film was butchered. Yeah, starting in two thousand one is when they tried to piece it back together, and and some other reels of the film were found in a couple different locations, and so there was this kind of first pass done. Actually, no, I think in the nineties the first pass was done, like mid nineties or early nineties, that they first started started to try and piece it back together, and then like another pass was done in I think two thousand one. Yeah, they, were, they, I guess, they did the best they could, I think, to try and be as faithful to what Vigo was trying to do. One of the things that they did when the movie originally came out, one of the ways that they, they messed with it, was they changed the title to Les Chilandes qui Passe, which means the passing barge. And uh, apparently barge life was pretty happening back in the mid-1930s in France. Yeah, it was having a real moment. There were several songs about living on barges apart from the one that they named the movie after i would not have known that barge life was ever considered to be glamorous was it? i mean i, I don't Maybe even not glamorous just like romantic probably well, yeah okay romantic i can see well definitely see that more than glamorous for yeah sure. um yeah i doubt i doubt they were like oh everything is caviar <laughs> and silk when you're on a barge um it's <laughs> my really bad barge song as mentioned, the director Vigo died of tuberculosis so right after the film was done, and it, it was like still in post production. I, th- I think it was uh, actually like it had come and gone from the theaters. Oh. Anyway, so one of the apparent legends or rumors about his death is that the song Le Chalon Qui Passe started playing outside his window at the moment he died. I really hope that that's not true. Yeah, that's. that sounds really shitty. So, cats? Yeah, well, Vigo's dad actually had a ton of stray cats that he took in and so i think vigo was always fond of them yeah the, they said that he was born in an attic full of cats full of right? cats so i mean full of yeah cats. That, we heard that comment several times yeah that had to have left its mark on him right the actual movie script originally called for papa jules having a pet dog and uh vigo changed it to having a bunch of alley cats and they actually got the cats from the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, which is pretty great. And on top of that, the actor who played Papa Jules, he actually adopted one of the cats when there's, the movie was done. There's a, like a photograph that uh, is kind of prominent in the movie, and so I guess the cats were drawn to it in real life when they were filming. Like They'd play the music and the cats would just naturally congregate towards it. Yeah, so they actually uh, pulled out the cameras when they noticed this and uh, put some of that in the movie. So There's like the, the cat that uh, Michelle Simone adopted was the one that's actually resting inside the uh, speaker for the gramophone. Yep. So changing the dog to several cats, I think a good move. Yeah. Um, but uh, he, Vigo actually changed the original script. I Quite think a lot. He, like the tone was a lot uh, less Lighter. heavy. Yeah, when... He originally read the screenplay, and I guess his initial 
response to it was uh this is a quote what the fuck do you want me to do with this it's sunday school stuff so yeah he he did not really like the initial tone of the movie too much and and did make it darker and it's still not like awfully dark or anything no it really it's not i mean obviously it's got some kind of dark moments but not anything too bad i don't know that i'd want to see it (laughs) without the changes it seems like anything like more if, jovial or lighthearted would be just kind of saccharine. And, yeah, exactly. Um, sure, it wouldn't be as highly regarded a movie as it is. No. He died when he was 29, and he, this is really the only feature-length movie that he made. He'd done three short films prior to this, but what a rough way to go out, just seeing your first full-length movie getting yeah. hacked to bits after you like work yourself to death. Yeah, and, and like he, he knew he was really sick when he, the movie was being made, and I saw something where he said like people were trying to tell him to take it easy and, you know, take, take a break, basically. And he was like, you know, I, I really want to give it everything I have. I don't care. I, I want to put everything into it. I'm not going to be around super long anyway, so may as well just give it all now. I know we talked about Truffaut being a fan of, I think, Germany Year Zero. This is another movie that... He really loved. I think he saw it when he was 14, and it made a huge impression on him. I guess when he was in the movie, somebody in the cinema made a comment like, oh, this movie smells like smelly feet. And Truffaut was like, oh, yeah, I guess so. And it didn't occur to him that that was like a negative comment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he hired the actor that played Sean to be in a couple of his other films later on in life. I think there's some kind of subtle nods that he made to the movie in his his films also, Mm -hmm. so... Very influential. Yeah. On people who were very influential in their own rights. Definitely. Uh, So that kind of sums up our thoughts on La Talente. So I would like to say, first of all, thank you very much to Boat for allowing us to use their song lately off the album Setting the Paces. Thank you, Boat. Thank you, Boat. Uh, If you are interested in keeping up to date with the podcast, uh, aside from being able to subscribe in iTunes or through any of your regular podcast sources, you can go to our website, TaraAndAndrewVersus.com, or find our Facebook group, uh, which is aptly named Tara and Andrew versus the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. And you can also send us emails if you want, TaraAndAndrewVersus at gmail.com. So let us know if you want to talk about any of the movies we've discussed, or if you have any suggested movies or shows that you think we might enjoy. Feel free to shoot us a word. Indeed. Yeah, so until next week, catch you later, potato hags.